Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. First of all, a garden it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Bleep you. This is, this is our way. Yes, loud. Stevens is pretty smart and knows what he's doing. That 3 and D roll. Oh, it's the T-League. If I had uh, Antoine Walker's body, I'd be <laughs> an all-star. Welcome, everybody, back to the Banners broadcast. I hope you know what this is by now. If you don't, it's the official podcast of CelticsBlog.com. We come to you every single week with our writers, our stories, and just checking in on this season, what's going on. Today, we're going to try something new. Questions from our staff provided fresh, hot for us to answer after a, not a stunning loss to the Detroit Pistons, but definitely a wake-up call for a team that for weeks now has been winning and winning and winning, still holds the best record in the NBA. But as I've seen, as others have seen, and as Brad Stevens has said again and again and again, the product isn't as good as the win-loss record is right now. So we're going to break through all of that today. I'm not going to do it alone. Andrew Doxy is with me today. What up, Andrew? Hey, man. It's all good. Ready to pot it out. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So the first question I have for you, because I know how I feel about this, is what do you think of that Pistons loss? What does it say to you? I don't want to overreact to one loss, but I think – Four one loss. This one said a lot. You know, it's funny. I thought you were going to ask me about Marcus Smart because you started with like, you know, you know how I feel about this. I was like, <laughs> oh man, right off the bat. Um, but in terms of the Pistons loss, I, I you know, I think uh, Ryan Ryan Bernadoni, he's the editor of uh, Celtics Hub. Yep. He tweeted out something last night that you know it was. I thought it was probably the best tweet of the night. Is that you know sometimes when two good teams face each other your team is going to lose. And, you know, I, I, that's that's all that happened last night, in my opinion. I think that, you know, we, some of the warning signs that we've seen early in the season played out last night. Yeah. But I overall, you know, we're not going to win every game. And, and I would rather lose to good teams on occasion 
than for us to, you know, have a random loss against the Nets or mm-hmm. against the Lakers or something like that. So, you know, I, I'm I'm not really too upset about it. And and even as poorly as we played, we still had a chance with, you know, a minute and a half left. So I'm, I'm totally fine with that. And th- this season's funny now because we were in a space early on where there were no expectations. And I, I saw a funny tweet about this, too. <laughs> there was that meme with, uh, we won, but at what cost? And yeah. it's like, yeah, now, now, now that we've got this win streak, the expectations are back. So when we start losing. Yeah, we're going to the finals now, obviously. It's, it's going to be a mess again. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've kind of fallen for that a little bit myself, I'll admit. Yeah. But, you know, you do have to readjust your expectations just a little bit based on what you see early this season. And this does look like a team that can probably get back to where they were last year, Eastern Conference Finals. I know the East is a little tougher this year, probably. The defense... I'm not going to complain about a team bent on defense, but uh, how how legitimately do you feel this defensive run has been? There's going to be nights where nothing works, and I feel like that was what yesterday. I mean, obviously, the only thing working was Marcus Smart's jumper, which is yeah, you know, of course. When, when that's working, that's by default nothing else works. That's just how the law of averages works out. But but I think this this defensive surge that we've had is something that can more or less be sustained they might not stay number one the whole season but they're definitely gonna be a top five defensive team by the end of the year just because danny ainge built this team so perfectly in terms of how he designed like not not just the players but like the types of players that he went after like you know players like jason tatum jalen brown marcus smart guys with long wingspans and and al horford in the in the paint aaron baines is like a concrete wall you know this these kind of components that he's put together, there's they're going to be a solid defensive team, especially with great coaching that they have in, in Brad Stevens. So I think that just the personnel that we have and their you know their physical attributes is good enough, notwithstanding their actual defensive IQ, which for a team this young is pretty high. And you mentioned Jason Tatum. I I still think this is so amazing. Even after last night, he sits with a 118 offensive rating, 100 defensive rating. So he has just been insane to start this year. Still shooting 50% from the field. Still shooting just a hair under 50% from three with five attempts per game. So he's been a force for them. He's going to continue to be, I feel like. I still think defensively they can be consistent, even with that breakdown last night. Detroit scares me a little bit because they seem to have the tools to dismantle this team. They really take advantage of the defense with how powerful they are inside. I mean, Drummond just looks like a different guy, but we'll get to that in a little. Taking away Boston's rebounding advantage, which has been strong this year. You know, they have the offense to battle with them as well. And, you know, we know very well what Avery Bradley's capable of against Kyrie. A shooting percentage issue the Celtics have just gets further, you know, impacted by that. The fact that Irving's probably not going to be very efficient going against him. Before we go into these questions that I'm just dying to read because they're great ones from our staff today. I want to tell you about DraftKings. Why not try out Jason Tatum in DraftKings? It's hoop season. We're right in the swing of it. And now your favorite hardwood heroes have returned to action. We know that by now. It's time for you to put your fantasy knowledge to the test to win huge cash prizes. Every night you can play one-day fantasy basketball at DraftKings.com. And I've played plenty of daily fantasy sports at this point. Yeah, it's a fun thing for me to do. I've just been trying them out, comparing them to each other at this point. And you know, there's just so many different ways at DraftKings to play 
that I've noticed myself personally. You get public contests with the huge cash prizes you hear about all the time. And they're legit. These are some big, big pots you're battling for night in and night out. But you also get your beginner casual courses where you're going to play against people who are just getting started if that's your thing. And uh, you, you can pretty much draft a new team each day. Paul Millsap on your team last week. He's out now. Don't have to worry about that like you do in your full-time fantasy basketball leagues. Just ask Dan from St. Louis or Jeremy from Austin. They both turned a $3 entry into $1,000 each. So huge cash prizes and bragging rights await only at DraftKings. Use code CLNS, CLNS at DraftKings.com to play free with your first deposit. For your share of $10,000 in total prizes tonight, don't wait. Use code CLNS at DraftKings.com now to choose your lineup, and you can seriously win cash tonight. CLNS, DraftKings.com, the game inside the game. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Let's get to it, Andrew. First question is from our buddy Matt Chin, who you hear quite a bit on this program. Celtics at 22nd in bench points. Do you see that as a concern going forward? And do you think the Celtics have to address it using the DPE or just making a trade some other way? So I actually don't see the bench as much of a problem as the starting lineup. Because Mm. we, yeah, no, hot take alert. Um, We've gotten into these holes against good teams and even bad teams early on in the first quarter has been a nightmare for a lot of our games where we just get into these holes and the second unit will come in and oftentimes that unit will also struggle until the, some of the starters kind of st- start staggering back into the lineup. And, and I feel like if we, and you know, this is another hot take and I'm actually writing about this, but yeah, changing, changing the, changing the starting lineup is might be the biggest way we can help the bench. What I've noticed is that, you know, everybody likes to say, you know, Tatum should just take over. Tatum should get the ball every possession. But Tatum doesn't want the ball every possession. If you if you look at when, you know, in those all-bench lineups, except for Tatum, he's always deferring. Like, uh, there was one play where he had a clear mismatch, and then he had Marcus Morris in the corner. He was on the wing. Marcus Morris is in the corner. Even though he had a clear mismatch, he still passed it up even though he was already in post-up position and everything, he still passed it up to Marcus Morris for some reason. And I guess, you know, he's, he's still 19. Like, he has these great flashes where we're like, wow, he's only 19, but we also have to remember, like, he's still 19. So I don't think he's ready to take over the bench. So I think that the best thing that Brad could do, in my humble opinion, would be to stagger the lineups a bit more because I don't think that we're at a point yet where we can roll out an all-bench unit. And that'll kind of help the other guys because if you have a guy like Kyrie playing with four bench guys, all the attention, offensive attention is going to be on Kyrie. It'll open up the floor a little bit for guys like Rozier and Daniel Tice. And we, we kind of saw a little bit of that last night. So I was at the Magic game on Friday night. And if you were watching that game there or at home, you could just see how inept the bench is on its own. And that's where right. staggering comes into play like you talk about because – Steven sent out the whole entire bench with a 30-point lead, and they lost about <laughs> half of it before the end of the game. It was a disaster. Yep. Against a Magic team that is proven to be not that good to start this year. I generally agree with what you're saying. I think we're due for a lineup shakeup right now, and I don't think it's going to come just because even Stevens, as 
good as he is, as outside the box of a thinker as he is, probably isn't going to shake things up while they're winning. That's just yeah. so far unconventional that you just won't see it. But uh, yeah. you know, I do think there's a case to be made to maybe get smart in there. Maybe oh, okay. There you are talking my language. <laughs> yeah. You are talking my language. I didn't want to say it, but I am ready to talk about it for you two know, hours. <laughs> the only reason I say this, I'm going to throw it way back to the summer when I wanted smart to be a starter going into this year. It's because I feel like there's a greater level of focus to his game. I think there's a greater level of discipline to his game when he's playing yep. amongst the starters. You see that with Jalen Brown, too. There's just sort of a starter effect, I feel like, on this team where it's just not as loosey-goosey and let it fly, which you're yep. seeing with him, Terry Roger, who's actually hitting shots. But to mention Roger, he's playing fantastic this year. Maybe mm-hmm. not brutally consistent, but consistent enough where you say, all right, this guy might just give you 10-plus almost every single night. And that's right. where he's at right now this season, 10 points a game. I feel very good about him being the bench scorer and maybe even yeah. the bench facilitator because we've seen Stevens put yeah. the ball in his hands more and more to start this year. Maybe he can't do it alone. You know, I still think you have to stagger facilitators a little bit like you talked about. But, yeah. I, you know, Roger gives me confidence that Smart can move outside of that starting lineup, but I don't know who he'll start for. <laughs> I, I see people mentioning, you know, Smart's the real powerful, not Marcus Smart. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, that's also true. What, what do you think that starting lineup change is if we're going to leave the bench to these guys? And you know, Is Roger that scorer, or do they need another guy in that capacity? Yeah, so, you know, we, we joke about it, but I absolutely do believe that Smart should plug in for Marcus Morris in, in those games. I mean, they're obviously going to be the rare occasion where we need to start Baines and Horford, um, but that hasn't happened too often so far and i don't think that it's going to happen extremely often moving forward but for the most part it should i i'm a very strong proponent of starting marcus smart as the not as the power forward you would you know semantics wise it would be tatum sliding over but smart does so many things that you would file under the big man category and not only does this help the team but marcus smart it plays so much i mean everybody plays better with the starters but smart like plays infinitely better with the starters his uh true shooting percentage is is terrible on the season but when he plays in that five-man lineup with uh irving tatum horford and brown his true shooting percentage shoots up to 70.5 percent his effective field goal percentage on the season is 42 percent but when he's with those starters he shoots 71.4 percent there we go numbers and we are. Hey, listen, it's facts only. Smart's been a just int- wildly intriguing case to start this year. Uh, overall, he's been a net plus, but the shooting's as bad as it's ever been. Worse, and, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and we thought it was solved preseason. Of course, we're seeing the worst of the worst to start this year. I saw a tweet that he would have to hit 55 straight shots or something like that just to get to league average at 45%. And, uh, of course, even after that Detroit game where he just put together his most rock-solid performance of the year, of course, and a loss, which you don't expect. Uh, right. You know, we still have a ton of questions about Smart, and they all seem to kind of lead to the off season where they have to make a decision on him. And, mm-hmm. uh, of course, Greg Casoli asks, does this streak of shooting, if it continues for the rest of the season, place a limit on how much you're willing to pay to keep him this summer? Any more differently than you would have said going in? No, not at all. I, well, you're talking to the, the chief Marcus Smart stand, so I don't know <laughs> if that's really a fair question. If, if Smart shot the percentages that he shot last year, 
while continuing to improve offense? Because, you know, there has to be a clear distinction, especially when you're talking about Marcus Smart and players of his sort, is that there's a difference between being a bad shooter and a bad offensive player. So Smart is a terrible shooter, but he's a fantastic offensive player for the other things that he does. He's a great pick-and-roll facilitator. He's a great pick-and-roll. He's a good pick-setter. He's a good. He, he boxes out on the offensive end. He gets offensive rebounds, you know, all kinds of things. So, I, you know, if, if Marcus Smart made the offensive progress that he's made this season while shooting last season's percentages, I'd be extremely happy, and he'd probably be averaging like 12 and 4 and 5.5, something like that. So, I mean, that's just my projection. Yeah. Um, and there's an uptick in his assists per game this, this year, too, which is really good because now we have about three players averaging five assists per game, which is, which is good. For me personally, it wouldn't change how much I, I would offer, but in a sense, I'm glad that we Smart is shooting this poorly while not costing the team wins just because his market value will kind of decrease a little bit. This kind of this ter- sounds terrible because I want my guy to prosper. But, you know, the more affordable we can have market smart, you know, the, the better it is for the team moving forward, especially as we might have two potential max contracts coming in with Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum down the line. Him kind of not shooting lights out like he expected plays better for the Celtics moving forward. And I don't think Marcus and his agent – because it sounded like they were being pretty reasonable during the whole process. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that they're going to be stubborn enough to say, well, hey, even though I shot this percent, you know, I still deserve this amount of money. I get the sense that the agent evaluations of these players are still higher than the teams look at it, as we've seen the yeah. cap flatten out a little bit. And I think this summer will really be the reckoning of that. And we've talked so much about Smart that I feel like in the end it's just going to all be for nothing when his market isn't strong and they get him back on a bargain, which is probably what they're looking for, probably why they didn't extend him this season. And your point's spot on. I think the shooting's going to scare some people away. I think there are some teams out there that just love him regardless and value what he brings to the table. But uh, when it comes to the Celtics and how they value him, I I do think there needs to be a, a limit. And we'll see what that limit is. It's up for them to decide and what they're looking to do long term. They are capped out right now pretty much, but they might be looking down the line at what they could do in a few years, whatever that is, just maintaining that flexibility. But there is a limit here somewhere. Like, we all love Smart. I'd love to see him here no matter what. They're better with him than they are without him, clearly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just such a hard evaluation. I've never seen an evaluation so hard money-wise because the guy is just an anomaly. The way he plays, the impact he has while just not filling up the stat sheet, um, just the demeanor he, he puts on everyone around him, like the intensity he plays the game with just always seems to be so contagious. So uh, yeah. th- there's so much smart bashing, but uh, you know sometimes you just have to do appreciate him for what he is, and he has helped the team more than he's hurt him, even for the shooting woes. So I'll lean towards your side, but even as a smart welcome lover, to the dark side. Yeah, even as a smart lover myself, I do have some pause at uh, just saying bring him back no matter what. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Mike DePrisco is asking who you would rather have for the next five years. Tatum, no hesitation. Hmm. You know, it's funny because I'm the biggest Tatum guy going, and even I still kind of say you know Brown has the higher ceiling. I've heard some people say there's Kawhi traits in him. Uh-huh. 
And I don't think, as absurd as it sounds, like I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that that's the kind of jump we could see from this guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I'm pretty high on both of them. I, did, I mean, if I have to pick, though, I, I would pick Tatum. But I, I definitely agree with you in that I, it would not surprise me in the slightest to see Jalen Brown make like a jump to start him because he's already jumped ten points per game just in one off season. Yeah, and he still can't, and he still can't dribble. So imagine after a couple of seasons, a couple of off seasons, you know, of training, if once he adds handles and, and, you know, he stops making like silly mistakes, like getting lost off ball. I mean, he, he has serious potential, but I, I would have to lean towards Tatum. Um, Tatum's more polished and he still has so much more room to grow. My biggest concern going into the season was defense. And he's been uh, remarkably capable on defense so far uh, with room to grow. Um, and he's he's already just a guy who looks like a twenty points per game scorer at least, and and there's room to grow. And he's only nineteen, so I, that's that's who I would pick moving forward. But I would I would not complain if I was stuck with Jalen Brown at all. It's very hard to pick between them because they just complement each other so well, and we're seeing yeah. that this year. Uh, they need Tatum's polished game just to impact them on any single lineup they put out there because he can just do everything so well already. And uh, Brown's Brown's still that case, you know. He's just one piece away from being what he can be, and you never ever know if he's going to develop that dribble move. I still look years from now, if we're looking back and saying, "Man, what if he de- developed that dribble move?" It's going to be frustrating. <laughs> oh yeah, it's going to be. I mean, if, even if we got this Jalen Brown for the rest of his career, like that's a, he's a solid, he's a starter right now. So, I mean, but he's I am definitely confident that he'll make another jump. Maybe not to superstardom because you know it's incredibly difficult to make that jump to superstardom. Yeah. But he'll be a star. He'll he'll make a couple of All Star teams at least. That's like his floor, in my opinion. Yeah, and it kills me to take the other side because I am just such a big Tatum guy. I, I wonder what his ceiling is still because there's a lot of uh, little areas where he can improve. I feel like, but I just wonder, mm-hmm. you know, how the brute force scoring is going to come about. You know, we still haven't seen him have that thirty point game that massive scoring night that you know he's capable of and that's just probably him playing within the flow of things so far you talked about that a little bit earlier in the program Um, yeah there is kind of that adjustment period for him i feel like still and uh yeah we'll see we'll just see where this goes i'm so excited to see where both these guys end the year at maybe they'll even both end up on the all-star team we'll see probably brown never know probably brown more likely than tatum this year but yeah we'll see last question we got today Will the offense get better? Bill Sigh. Nice and simple. Good way to end this chat before we get on to our Pistons conversation with uh, Duncan Smith today. Is it going to get any better? Do you feel like you've seen improvement lately? Yes and no. Yes, because eventually I feel like Brad will go to a lineup change for the starters. We're winning games by defense. Just straight up, the, the only reason we're coming back from these large deficits is because we're, we're getting defensive stops. So, but the, those initial holes that we're getting into is because none of our shots are falling. I think that once we get into a place where we can change the lineup a little bit and get some different looks, then our offense might look a little crisper. Cause if, like I was saying earlier, the numbers in that five man unit are, are closing five with Brown, Horford, Tatum, Irving, and smart. The offensive numbers on that are, are really good. So I, I just think that it, it comes down to playing the better combination of players more 
it's weird because every season this happens where Brad takes like the first half of the season to find out what rotation he likes better. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of frustrating to me because like it, it's pretty apparent after, you know, 10 games, but at the same time, I don't think that we have a, have the personnel where we're just going to be an offensive juggernaut. I don't feel that we're going to end the season in the top 10 in offensive rating or, you know, top 10 in most offensive stats. But I do see a consistent defensive presence at the top of the league. So that'll keep us, you know, up there in terms of wins. But I don't think the offense is going to continue to be as bad as we've seen. I think it'll just be middle of the road for the rest of the season, you know, around 15 in terms of offensive rating rank in the league. Yeah, and we've seen them get up to that point in the last few nights. They're to that middle point of the league right there with the Bucks in terms of offensive rating. <laughs> Good company. Half at first, yeah. I don't know what's going on with the Bucks right now anyway. Yeah, that's, it's that's, weird. That's a different story. Uh, assists. I thought there was a lack of assists to start this year, but they're back into the top 10 in assist percentage. Assist to turnover, the top 10 too. So look at these yeah. analytics. Even offensive rebounding percentage there in the upper uh, half of the league. A lot of the analytics look pretty good so far, but it's just that shooting percentage. You know, bottom half of the league, true shooting percentage. The, the shooting slashes have not been good for this team uh, across the board. They're not shooting very efficiently unless you say Horford, Tatum, Irving to a, a greater degree recently. But below that, it's just inefficiency. And it comes from the bench. It comes from Jalen Brown and... His consistency issues, which we still deal with here. And even Marcus Morris, who (laughs) had... Don't get me started. I'm going to talk about him with Duncan Smith in the other half of the show, but I saw him play for the first time when he came back from that knee injury, and I'm just like, what the heck's this guy doing? Just with the shot selection, with how hard the shots he was taking are, where he's taking them in between, just running around these screens and jumping up. Mm Mm-hmm. He doesn't look like he's going to help this efficiency issue they have, especially with the amount of shots he's taking. And I think he's hugely problematic for the rest of this year. He's been hitting them so far, but we're seeing less and less of it lately. And that's that's one thing that, you know, everything goes back to Marcus Smart for me. But, you know, uh, that aside, everything... With Marcus Smart, because people complain about his shooting a lot, but he's often put in positions where he has to take the shot. So he'll get the ball end of shot clock, or he'll be wide open. You know, those are the kind of shots that you want players to take, even though Smart's not a good shooter. Like, you can't pass that up, because you're only making the offensive worse if you're hesitating in that in those situations. Marcus Morris straight up just shoots the ball whenever he wants. Yeah. Like, it, does, it does not matter if the ball's in the middle of flowing. If he sees a sliver of an opportunity, he's taking it. And that's what bothers me about I, that's what you know let me correct myself that's what infuriates me about watching Marcus Morris play basketball is that he just thinks that he's like prime mellow if prime mellow wasn't a <laughs> good is, basketball player there's just no hesitation and he's good he's no. good at it to a degree I feel like he's probably has a higher percentage than most people would taking the shots he takes it's just it's just ugly to watch between him and smart just going back and forth with these weird attempts they both have and it's just I've laughed enough times at the fact that their name is both Marcus, but it's just uncanny. <laughs> like the way yeah. these guys both approach the game, it's tough. And you know, luckily Irving has just been on absolute tear lately, and he's yep. covered up a lot of the offensive issues they have: attacking, facilitating, finding that balance between the two areas of his game that have just looked to be amazing to start this year. 
And uh, he's over 30 points per game over the last five or six nights. So he's finally getting back to where he is as just a ruthless scorer. But I just wonder if he can do it alone. And, you know, I hate to go back to it again and again, but we're going to say it all year. Hayward was that efficient volume guy who they really needed to just hold this offense to enough of a high level where it probably balanced out with this defense and being a great, great team. But we can't worry about that till a later day, I guess. Are you still holding out hope that he comes back? According to the diagnosis that the team doctors gave in the press release and, you know, unofficial Twitter doctors and everything, it just, it looks like an injury that should be healed by March, April. So I don't know. If we're still in the playoffs, I mean, if we're starting the playoffs and he's like 100% good to go, I don't see why he can't kind of just jump in a little bit. Or at the end of the season, like Paul George did that one year, just get, you know, a couple of games, 20, 20 minutes a game. Yeah, that would you know, be cool. That would be cool. Maybe getting a game or two before the playoffs start and then shut it down. Like it'd be kind of weird to do that, but yeah, that would be some cool momentum going into the postseason if he played in the last game at the Garden or something like that. Yeah, and also just to give the guys rest, like you could rest Tatum and play, you know, Hayward, uh, just just to get him some cool, you know, moments. Because I feel like uh, maybe the reason he ruled himself out for the entire season is the mental aspect. Because you know, after a devastating injury like that, I can I definitely understand why he would be terrified to get on the court. So maybe he's ruling himself out for the season just because he doesn't want to rush the mental aspect of it. I don't really think that he should be ruled out the whole year, but I totally understand that it, that that's what he wants and that's the time that he needs. Then it you know it's cool with me. Or maybe but, he heard that they'd get eight million in cap if he said <laughs> <laughs> that. That's also true. <laughs> maybe he maybe he's just looking out for Danny Ainge. <laughs> Alrighty, that's a- Andrew Doxy, who we always enjoy very well. As he said, he's got an article coming, so check that out on Celticsblog.com. Always good to hear from you, Doxy. We will hear from Duncan Smith next. Let's see if those Pistons are legit, because we're talking Eastern Conference contenders right now. Can the Celtics get back to the East Finals with this team marking? Let's learn a little bit more about them and check in on our old friend, Avery Bradley, on the other side. This is the Banners Broadcast. What is up, everybody? Back here from our break. Told you he'd be with us earlier, and here he is now, Duncan Smith. It's not often we go behind enemy lines on the Banners broadcast, but new show in our young days here, trying to develop it a little bit, so why not try something new? We're going over the other side, and I don't think there's a better team we could have done it on than these Pistons, because they are on a roll right now. As Duncan pointed out on Twitter, they have beaten the Warriors, Clippers, and now the Celtics on the road. So some real impressive opponents have gone down at the hand of the Pistons this year. And they now sit second in the East, just games behind the Celtics, 13-6 and six, off of a big win over the Celtics as we record this, 118-108 to 108 of note because... Celtics defense has been stingy all this year. We've been talking about it over and over again. Uh, there's just I did a little research into the Pistons pregame, and it's crazy how this team has just turned it around from day to night, year to year. I really cannot in recent memory think of a team that has just gone from so firmly entrenched in the middle of the league one year to one of the better ones the next year. Without a whole lot of change, we all know Avery Bradley 
made the move from Boston to Detroit, which makes this even more interesting. Marcus Morris joining our side. So let's get into it. As I said, Duncan Smith with us, Pistons powered, B-Ball Breakdown contributor. A lot of great contributors over there, B-Ball Breakdown, and he is one of them. And he is here to tell us what the heck happened. <laughs> Where did this Pistons team come from? Well, what's going on, Bobby? It's, uh, it's uh, an interesting, uh, an interesting night of uh, Pistons basketball, to say the least. Um, yeah, uh, that's a pretty common question that I've been asked: is like, where exactly did this team? I'm come sure from? you're a busy man nationally this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah there have been a, a few Q and As. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of what this team is displaying right now is. Uh, a result of Van Gundy's Sam Van Gundy's patience mm-hmm. uh, from from last year to this year, uh, you know we didn't really get a chance to see what this young core looked like after um, after the, after the Pistons traded for Tobias Harris two seasons ago. Reggie Jackson uh, came down with knee tendonitis last season, and they really never got anything going. Um, you know, two years ago Reggie was probably the best player on the team. Last season he was one of the worst players in the NBA. Yeah, uh, that's that's not hyperbolic whatsoever. Like he was. Uh, Impact-wise, probably the uh, the most detrimental high-usage player in the league. Um, and this year, you know, all he really needed to do, I think, is just to be, like, even a neutral or a small plus. Uh, but tonight, I think he played a virtually perfect game, for example. You know, and he's a, he's a, he's uh, he's demonstrated an ability to be not necessarily a game manager, but to uh, to sort of, like, be a distributor first. Um, he can be at his most effective when he's got, like, like tonight, 10 field goal attempts. Uh, Van Gundy kept the core together. He uh, built in depth. Like tonight was one of the few times that uh, actually the Pistons bench hasn't been a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, usually the Pistons starters play to a small deficit overall, and then the bench just comes in and overwhelms. Uh, there's a lot of depth on this team. This team is uh, is built to shoot now. Uh, in years past. There is really no shooting to speak of. Last year, uh, Reggie Bullock led the team in, in three-point shooting at like 38%. Um, and then after that, it was Reggie Jackson at 36%. And he did like basically nothing else well um, mm-hmm. last year. And then after that, you have a whole bunch of like 32, 33, 34% shooters last season. And this year, I haven't looked at the updated numbers after this game, uh, but they've got like three or four guys shooting like near or over 40%. Tobias Harris is shooting almost 50% from three. Pretty much every transaction the Pistons made this summer uh, was was to add shooting, and they're a top five three point shooting team this season. Mm-hmm. And um, like that alone is a big difference. Andre Drummond is a completely different player, um, unrecognizable, I think, to a lot of people. Oh yeah, I, I saw some stats earlier. Um, he he had like the best game by a visitor in Boston since like 1977 or something. Um, Andre <laughs> Drummond is a, is a brand new guy, man. Uh, like 2020 games aren't exactly a, a, a frequent thing necessarily. Um, but it's it's not that surprising to see him put up like 15, 15, and then like throw five assists and four steals in. He's impactful in ways other than just rebounding now. Um, he's him and Avery Bradley have developed a really close synergy in um, in uh, like dribble handoffs. And you know that surprised uh, me. A lot of that. that surprised me a lot because yeah. if there's one thing we were stunned to see here as Boston people was Avery Bradley facilitating on offense like that and the little one. One two-man game they had going on back and forth in between was impressive. And to hit on Drummond, the guy's blowing my mind because if you asked me this time last year who the most overrated player in the league was, I'd say Drummond in a second. 
And, of course, we learned a lot about the procedure he had done over the summer. I was shocked to hear that he'd been playing with that left nostril pretty much closed back to his UConn days. It it blows my mind that that's how long we've been uh, talking about him struggling with that now. And that plays in the sleep. That plays into... uh, you know, your ability to play a full game. He went 40 minutes tonight, 10 to 12, 26 points, 22 rebounds, six assists. So you pretty much hit on all the points there. Four steals, including the big one against Horford down the stretch. So it's not really a uh, big exaggeration to say he took over this game tonight and really just poured it on one of the better defenses in basketball. He always knew he's been a great rebounder. And he pretty much took over a game against the number one rebounding team in basketball. So he pretty much blew away a team that's the number one team in basketball right now. But a team that had been doing really well in two areas that he just blew up tonight. So on Drummond, so many things to talk about. We could probably do a full show about his transformation from last year to this year. But two key points is the free throws. Six of eight from the line tonight, which is day and night from being the worst in the league. So that's a point. And then, of course, just his overall game, losing 30 pounds, the agility. Like there's, I've never really seen a guy just put in so much work over one summer and just transform like he has. I, I mean, what has impressed you most about him this year? Oh, it's it's hard to trim it down to just one thing. Um, you know, free throws, he's down to like 62% from the free throw line. He was He was really close to like the mid-70s for a long time. Yeah, that's probably the last time I looked. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I've always maintained that if he was just a little bit shy of 50%, I, I did some math work and some, like, detailed stuff that I figured, like, anything 50% or higher is basically, like, uh, you know, we can we can consider that to be a positive, mm-hmm. uh, considering the other things that he brings. Um, as long as you can keep on the court. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, like, so the free throw shooting is great. I kind of see that as just a bonus, really. Um, the fact that the Pistons run offense through him is remarkable. Uh, it's not even just the dribble handoffs. He's developed an ability to. Uh, he's got really good court vision. It's something we saw in the past, but in uh, in small doses. Um, but he's got really good court vision. He can find guys off uh, cuts. He can see things before they're developing, basically. Um, so you know the, the offense doesn't just subsist completely on uh, like one five pick and rolls with him and uh, and Reggie Jackson. You've got a completely different twist, facilitating through other players, um, and that's been a really big difference you know one thing that i think more than anything we've seen this year is that oxygen is really important yeah um you know not only <laughs> day to life but when you're like a high performance professional athlete um all the more so uh it affects training um you know he dropped 30 pounds like you mentioned yeah and two months and we talked um, and I, I hit on real quick about the fact that that's been a problem with him going back to yukon why do you think he waited so long to address that uh, nobody really realized that there was a problem. Uh, um, basically, uh, his allergies flared up really bad this past uh, season. Um, so, you know, if, if it seemed like uh, his energy was really low late in games in particular, uh, if it seemed like he was uh, really lethargic, if his body language was poor, um, a lot of people chalk that up to uh, just like a, a malcontent, lazy player. Um, and it turns out that he just couldn't breathe. <laughs> I mean, um, it turns and, out that when, when an, a professional athlete who seems to have an attitude problem that doesn't really kind of like uh, jive with like the, uh, you know, his personality and, and various traits, um, it, maybe there's something else at, at, uh, at play. Yeah. 
And um, his allergies really flared up to the point where they realized like there has to be like an actual real problem. And sure enough, they, they checked into it and his, uh, his septum was deviated. And so they repaired it uh, early in the off season, like April, I think, uh, after the Pistons were eliminated, you know, uh, mathematically <laughs> eliminated. They did not make the playoffs, sadly. So it took care of that. And then, like right off the bat, basically he got he uh, he got to work. Like he started slimming up almost immediately. And I think a lot of that came from like additional energy that he had uh, just to train. Um, a big issue last year with him was uh, playing a second night of back to backs on the road. A lot of that I think came from inflammation due to like just just traveling, um, like flying, um, and so he he rarely played well on those uh, those road back to backs. Mm-hmm. And this year um, he. He played uh, 40 minutes, I think, against the Warriors on the second half of a back-to-back. He's, he's put in, like, heavy minutes in just about every back-to-back game so far and played really well. Um, you know, you would you would never see him just dominate for 40 minutes last year. And yeah, like he, did he didn't have the Yeah, he just didn't have the physical capacity because the guy couldn't get oxygen to his brain and yeah. into his body. Um, and here we see, uh, you know, he, he had energy for a full game, uh, and he... I think he was probably better in the fourth than he was at any point in the game. And it was by a pretty significant margin. For for Drummond's sake alone, like this is a game the Pistons never won, never would have won last year. Yeah, and you're looking at a tight race across the East when it comes to most improved candidates. He's right up there among them, of course. And uh, it just blows my mind. I mean, we're sitting here laughing about the fact that it's you know just oxygen. But for a team that was just stuck in the middle of the league, that like little miracle that they found out with the allergies probably changed the fortune to this team's outlook for years to come, which just blows my mind. And the fact that they're right up there with the best teams in the NBA early this season, really just it has completely caught me and I'm sure everybody else off guard. Because last year this team was a dumpster fire, or very close to it, I feel like, it was looking from the outside. And, you know, it was 37-45, not the worst record you could have, but the expectations they had, at least to be a playoff team, versus where they ended up with Reggie Jackson, who, like you said in the opener, maybe the worst player in the NBA last year, and that's supposed to be your core guy at point guard for years to come. And then, you know, Drummond, decent season, putting up rebounds, but just not a game changer. And when you're paying him over $20 million a year, you're expecting him to be a game changer in that regard. It's a tough cap situation. Things just not clicking. Offense wasn't great last year. What was the feeling coming out of last year? Like I almost saw them coming out of last year and saw Doc Rivers lose his managerial um, power in the, with the Clippers and Stan Van Gundy in that similar spot in Detroit. I almost felt like Stan Van Gundy was in trouble there. Like, was there riots in the streets of Detroit like calling for this guy's job? Or what was the feeling like among the fan base? Um, you know, I, I think that we kept the I think we kept the fan base fairly calm about um, you know asking for Stan Van Gundy's job. Um, he hasn't, with the exception of overpaying for some guy. Like you know, you would love to have like John Moore's money back, for example. You'd mm-hmm. love to have uh, Boban's money back, um, or at least to have gotten them at a uh, at a discount um, <clears throat> rather than like a, a huge premium, like was paid for both of them unnecessarily. The moves that he's made, with you know a few exceptions here and there, um, the moves the moves that Van Gundy's made as executive um, have largely been fairly decent. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> 
across the board, perfect or anything like that. But when you look at his trade record, for example, he fleeces uh, trade partners. The uh, Orlando he, trade, I'll still say oh, it probably yeah. for the rest of this decade, was the fleece of the decade. I, you traded two role players, and I, I mean role players, like bench guys, for a guy who's probably going to be part of your core for years to come in Tobias Harris. Yeah, and, and the guy's 25 years old. He's still 25 years old. Makes it, no sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Van Gun- Without a doubt, I would say he even won a trade with uh, Danny Ainge, and that doesn't happen. Nobody wins We'll see on Ainge. that one. <laughs> well, we'll see on that one. But, I mean, uh, Avery Bradley for Marcus Morris, you know, just, just from the Pistons perspective, it was a talent upgrade without a doubt. It allowed Gordon Hayward to come to Boston, which is a, a big win for, for you guys, certainly down the road. And it also, um, yeah, I'll throw in there, allowed us to keep Terry Roger as well, which is the sneaky part yeah. of that deal because he's been good to start this year despite all the jokes on Twitter about him and age. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, you know, it, it definitely helps Boston, but at the same time it was a talent upgrade for the Pistons mm-hmm. while being able to, like, sidestep the whole KCP situation. So there's that. There's also the fact that, you know, we wanted to see what would happen with a healthy Reggie Jackson. Uh, we wanted to see what would happen with an Andre Drummond who could breathe. The primary uh, sentiment, I think, was a, a, a wait-and-see mm-hmm. kind of uh, situation. Uh, we wanted to see what Van Gundy could do with a healthy core, and I think that uh, that was kind of his goal all along, was just to see what this core could do healthy um, and and try try your darndest, basically, as long as possible to avoid having to blow things up and start over. And if you can just be competitive now with the core you have, maybe you're not championship material, but... You know, any given year, four teams might be championship material. Uh, that doesn't mean that there's no value in playing it out and entertaining your fans. I, I think that waiting it out, seeing what would happen was Van Gundy's plan with this core. And I think that that was kind of uh, reciprocally um, the opinion of the fan base as well, to just kind of wait it out, see what would happen with Van Gundy and a healthy team. So... A lot of people probably confused with doing a Pistons segment here on the Banners broadcast, and uh, I'll tell you all again to subscribe to the Banners broadcast on iTunes if you'd be so kind. Avery Bradley came back tonight to Boston, and one thing we Celtics people get crap for all the time is being overly sentimental about guys who maybe weren't <laughs> quite legends in Boston. And you're not going to see numbers zero go up to the rafters, but... If you're talking about a role guy, a complimentary guy who really just made his mark on a place over a long course of time, it was Bradley. And twofold, he kind of became that bridge between the Dark Rivers era and the Brad Stevens era, helping them just turn around as fast as they did in a year and a half. And then the fact that this guy just improved his game every year in some different way. And I still look at that last year he came in and rebounded six boards per game over six boards per game when he was a two or three guy for his whole career which just took everybody off guard but the fact that he worked on that over the summer when no one really even expected that out of him just speaks to what he meant in Boston he started his career as a guy who was just a ferocious defender fell back in the draft and Ainge kind of grabbed him late in that draft as a steal one of the great steals to this day that he's made in the draft and we've seen him become a deadly mid-range shooter we've seen him step out to three even work on now dribble handoffs like you talked about in the opener and now he's in Detroit part of this core and you seem to think he's an upgrade over Marcus Morris in that trade I still think it's a lot of fun how fair both sides seem to see this deal and how it's going to play out over the year but uh, what kind of difference has Bradley made there from you know, both a leadership perspective, some people have talked about, as well as on the court? 
his uh, defensive tenacity seems to have carried over to a lot of the, uh, you know, Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith and Langston Galloway, especially. I think uh, a lot of the guards are just a lot more active with their hands and passing lanes and uh, when, when they're guarding on ball. It's probably not entirely fair to credit Avery Bradley with uh, with all of the the active hands that you yeah, it's like Lonzo Ball and all that, right? Yeah, exactly. I'd I'd rather give you know Reggie Jackson credit for being healthy and stepping up his defense, and Ish Smith for just being a, a better defender this year. But you know, it's it's also nice to have a guy like Avery Bradley who's just like tenacious and a dog on defense. He's taking over uh, KCP's spot last year. I think KCP's reputation may have preceded him to some degree. Um, you know, he had a reputation of being a really good on-ball defender, and uh, you know, there there were some disputes about that uh, overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, Avery Bradley is um, you know on both ends, I think, a pretty significant upgrade over uh, over KCP, and he's made a big difference simply by being. Uh, you know, a talent upgrade over a, a position that got a lot of minutes last season. Um, you've also got a leadership thing. Um, you know, you you can't go out there and, and be lazy on defense when Avery Bradley is diving to the floor and like breaking up everything in his in his quadrant of the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I th- think that he's had uh, you know an impact in the locker room. He's had impacts on both offense and defense. Um, I do wish that he turned the ball over like half as much as he turns it over. It kind of drives me crazy. He's kind of a turnover machine, but you know, he, he really kind of offsets that with, uh, with the way he impacts things on, uh, on both ends aside from that. Yeah. And it's it, we're still getting sentimental about here. It was really cool to see him come back tonight and, uh, have that moment in Boston. They did the video tribute for him and uh, he, he was just a great, great, solid player here. And you see it in Detroit now, right up there for number one defense in the league. Can't help but credit his overall impact on the game. I sort of compare it to having like a superstar offensive player. You go out there every night, you're going to expect them to put up 20, 30 points a game. Well, this guy, you can put him on one of those guys and just try to completely take him out of the game. I mean, I don't think he completely removed Kyrie Irving from the game tonight, but he did about as good of a job as you can to just throw him off. That play down the stretch where he was just running into the depth of the paint and probably should have been called for a travel. Bradley got called for the foul there, but that was just one of many times. He just throws guys off on the ball. 6-16. So Irving, probably one of the tougher guys to shut down in this league like i really don't think one-on-one you can have someone completely shut him out games just because of how dynamic he is on the ball and i'd include tony allen and some of the great perimeter defenders in the league amongst that group who just you know even if you put clay thompson too we've seen in the finals great perimeter defender who just could not hold this guy one-on-one but bradley the one key we held to in boston was that when they go against Cleveland, this guy's going to be able to just take him out of the game just enough. And that's the case with most guards across this league. Like It is pretty crucial to have that one guy who can shut out. I mean, you've defeated Golden State at this point as a team. A lot of other great teams across the league at this point. Like How important has Bradley's ability to just take a guy out of the game been to these big wins Detroit has had? It's been really helpful, um, you know. You're not going to shut down superstars, but if you can slow them down, you know, make them a little bit less efficient, make their life a little bit more difficult, um, you're going to do better. And it's really nice, it's really beneficial to be able to have a guy who can who you can rely upon to do that. And and Bradley has really been that guy for the Pistons so far. How seriously should we take these guys among uh, the up and coming best players in the league? 
I have been trying to figure out what I think of their their ceiling ever since uh, probably about the six or seven game mark. I don't really know. I think they're really good. Um, beyond that, I'm not entirely sure. You know, I don't want to limit it and say I think you know they're a high 40s, low 50s win team. Maybe they're better. I don't know. That's that's a really high <laughs> level. But at the same time, I kind of want to just like sit back and see where this takes us because uh, it's been a lot of fun so far, and I I really don't know. I really don't know how good it can get you know, at this point. That answer right there just shows you how weird this is. Like they just came out yeah. of nowhere, and now. You don't know what to I, expect out of this start. Yeah, I consider myself to be probably one of the more optimistic uh, Pistons people going into the season. And even I thought their like, most likely win total would be about 42 or so. Um, I thought their, win, their ceiling was probably 44, 45. Um, and most likely they'd finish right in that 42 win range. Uh, now I don't think that would be acceptable at all uh, with the start that they've gotten off to. It, it certainly looks as though I, I was pretty far off in my... Uh, my win target. It, it really makes me want to just uh, hold off on prognosticating at this point, for sure. So last two questions I got, we'll circle right back to that trade that's going to joint these teams for the rest of the year, and maybe even a playoff series if we get to that point between these two is possible. Uh, missing Marcus Morris at all? And do you expect Bradley to be a long-term piece for this team, even if it does cost them like maybe upwards of $20 million a year, like that market might command? Marcus Morris is a bit of a, a ball stopper. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> uh, I think that this team needed to, at like all costs, uh, shed you know the the long twenty foot twos, the the kind of Mel- Carmelo light um, approach that <laughs> that uh, Marcus. I'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic about my approach here. Of course, Marcus Morris. Is, he does bring a lot to a team, um, but I don't necessarily think that uh, what he brings is. Uh, quite what this Pistons team needs right now. I think that it's a strange situation where a, a pretty good player in Marcus Morris, uh, his his removal is kind of uh, an addition by subtraction kind of situation. But you did bring an expiring contract on, so I know it's getting ahead of itself, but there is a contract now that Detroit has to address. I think that's the one thing you can say Boston did come away with pretty big in this trade is contract and uh, money flexibility because... I don't know how much how much do you think cool. Detroit yeah. is uh, willing to drop on Bradley because, like you said, there's already a few guys on the team who they've probably spent a few too many dollars on. Uh, you got a big contract in Drummond. Are they going to go upwards of twenty million to keep Bradley? You think? Um, I think they'll pay what it takes to keep him. Um, yeah. I know he's going to be seeking north of that. Um, I also know that uh, the Tom Boris is basically he's. I think he's kind of like itching to have a team that he can go into the luxury tax for. Uh, not that that's ever the goal necessarily, but I think that he he is he's willing for a winner. Um, this team did not win like they were hoping last year, mm-hmm. so you know it, it made sense that they, they they did what it took to stay out of the luxury tax um, this year. You know, if they go out and win 50 games and they make it to the second round of the playoffs, uh, I, I have very little doubt that um, that they're going to back up the truck. <laughs> For Avery Bradley, if <laughs> yeah, that's we know that term well around oh, here. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So there's Duncan Smith, and we're gonna leave it there. Marcus Morris still trying to figure him out. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, you will be trying to figure him out for some time. <laughs> yeah, and luckily he just seems to be a crazy shot maker who is making those shots so far. So we'll take it yeah. to this point. But once that stops, we'll see where that goes. Uh, yeah, he he had one good month last season, and the rest of the of the rest of the season he was missing those shots. So. 
for you guys, for the, for the sake of you guys, I hope he keeps hitting them, but uh, we know how those shots go. <laughs> yeah, too many Marcuses taking crazy shots on this team, so we're going to talk about that on the, the other side of this show. Thanks for being with us for part of it, Duncan. It's good to get that outside knowledge, and uh, where can the people follow you on Twitter? Uh, follow me on Twitter at DuncanSmithNBA. There you go, Duncan Smith. That's our show for today, and we will see you next week. Good night, everybody. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden other than the fact that it's a thousand years old? Let's take a look.